And so it really was powerful to hear um, just what's going on and what God's doing in these pastors' lives and how he's using them to further the kingdom. And what's cool is, you know, here I am with all these pastors and church planters that are there in the midst of this, uh, these cities and these towns that are very dark. And, uh, and they're planting this incredible church and God's doing an amazing thing. And that's exactly what's happening in, in the book of Acts. And so, so it really was just cool to see all that kind of come together um, as I was preparing for this. So I want to look at Acts 19. So I'm going to put it up on the screen. But if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Acts 19, we're going to dive right in. Um, the other part of this is when Tim told me I was doing Acts 19, uh, and I looked it up, I'm like, man, is this like the longest chapter? Um, and so he's like, well, let me send you all my commentaries and notes, and it's like, you know, 40 pages. I'm like, thanks, Tim. It's awesome. So, um, but I am excited. This is, this is a great thing, and it's cool how God kind of spoke to me as I was preparing for this. Um, so I want to I just pick up in verse 8. Um, we're going to skip the first seven verses just for the sake of time, um, but just a little recap on that. Basically, Apollos is teaching in Ephesus, and he doesn't fully understand the gospel, and so Priscilla and Aquila have to pull him aside and help him see the parts. And so, and so when Paul gets to um, Ephesus, you know, there are some people there, and he asks them about uh, if they received John's baptism of repentance, or, and, or did they receive the Holy Spirit, and they're like, what's the Holy Spirit? What is that? We don't know. And so uh, he lays hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit um, and they begin to prophesy. And so this incredible thing happens and we're going to kind of talk about the importance of the church of Ephesus. Um, so we're going to pick up in verse 8. It says, And he entered the synagogue for three months, uh, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years. Now listen to this. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So if you want to talk about a church plant, this is it. This is a legit church plant. This is not coming in and partnering with the Baptists. This is not coming in and kind of doing some community things with the Presbyterians or forming a non-denominational. There is no church in Ephesus. Period. There is nothing there. There are no followers. So then what's cool is so he comes here and he's planning this church and he wants to raise up these people and, and to build this church to really impact that part of the world. And that's exactly what happens. It says, within two years the Bible tells us there was no one in Asia who had not heard the word of the Lord. Not among the Jews, not among the Gentiles. That's really powerful. Like this is, this is a church plant like you want to be part of. You want to, you want to hear these kind of things that God is doing this amazing work. Um, and so, just to show you how deep the gospel penetrates this part of the world. Um, you know, when he went to Ephesus, I want to start on verse 21. I'm not going to skip 11 through 20. We'll come back to that. Um, but I want to pick up on verse 21. And it says this. It says, Now after these events, the ones we just skipped that are awesome that I promise we're coming back to. Um, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to the go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made um, silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only, um, not only in Ephesus, but all, almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying, 
that gods not made with hands are not gods. Now, I love this part and I love Demetrius. I'd love to sit down and have, have dinner with him because at this moment, you know, one of two things has happened. Uh, either one, he legitimately believes that these idols and these things that he has made with his hands are actually gods, or he recognized that he just got busted by Paul. Okay? One of these things is going on, but either way, it doesn't deter him from what, he, what he's doing. Um, just for the record, though, how powerful is a god if you have to create it? If you have to make it? If you have to make it kind of fit within what you think or what you want? Um, Tim spoke several weeks ago in Acts 17, and this is what it says. says, God is not made by any. He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He gives breath and life to all. So this is Paul. This is a very subversive attack on the idolatry that was going on in that part of the world. You know, this is what people actually believed. Um, so in verse 27 picks up, it says, And there is danger not only to this trade of ours... Um, may come into disrepute. Okay, yeah, it's disreputable. You're lying. Um, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may be deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship except for the large contingency that has now come to know the Lord. Um, you see, it's kind of a, it's an example of what sin does and, and, and what's going on with Demetrius. It, it kind of blinds you and makes you foolish. It makes you kind of believe things that aren't the reality and persuade you in this way, and a lot of people, that's, that's just what happens with them. So verse 28 says, When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Now, I'm going to stop right there and kind of unpack what's just occurred, because nowhere in the church's history has anything like this happened. And what I mean by that is because Paul has come in and he has proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God has come on so strong in this world, in this part of the world, that these people who were making a living off of selling these things, and this was a big business. They were selling idols and the people who worshipped believed that they needed to buy these idols in order to actually be a good worshipper of these various gods. And so he has come in and it's, gone, it's come in so strong that these sinful activities that they were making money off of they're no longer making money. And so they're upset. And so the whole socioeconomic platform, everything that's going on is just turned upside down because of the gospel. So these guys and they're, you know, they're making this money and they're, you know, they're upset because now their whole livelihood has changed. And so these people who are also spending all this money on buying these, these Christians, now they have more money. And so the whole economic, it has just completely changed what's going on there. Um, and it's really powerful. Um, I was thinking about, can you imagine what that would look like in Birmingham? If the gospel so penetrated this city that businesses that even in our, are in our community that we know are not great businesses, um, that they couldn't make it. They had to close their doors because people were not going there because people understood the gospel and they were moved. And so it just changes everything. It's really powerful. And so Ephesus, um, you know, I, I think in the past, you know, you hear some of these towns and these cities and these churches, you know, Ephesus was of great importance in shaping where we are today. Um, you know, God just used this church in powerful ways. And if you read throughout the scriptures, you have the letter of Ephesians uh, written by Paul when he was in prison. 
he's writing to them. Uh, then Timothy is an elder in Ephesus. And so he writes to him and he's encouraging him. Um, and then you also, in John 1, 2, and 3, you know, written from John, he's an elder in the church of Ephesus. So this is like this mega church. There's a lot of incredible things happening here um, and, and some incredible leadership. You know, when, when we, and, and I think kind of to highlight this, when we teach here at Dawson or whatever, you know, we exegete the scripture. Um, you know, John wrote it. Okay? When I say Jesus said or Tim says Jesus said, we, we point you to this. What John was saying, when he said Jesus said, he goes, well, this is what Jesus said to me. You know, um, you know, he was there. He was talking with them. So there's just there's this power that comes right there. Um, you know, and there's a strong leadership. And as you as you read through these letters, um, there's several warnings to the to the Ephesians, um, the Church of Ephesus. There's several. If you look in First uh, and Second Timothy, there's um, there's some warnings, and there's some warnings in First uh, one through three John. Um, but there's not a lot of trouble. It's just some warnings. So, but when we go to the Book of Revelation, chapter two. We're going to come right back to Acts. But I want to go to chapter 2 in Revelation. Um, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus um, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Um, because of time, I'll just simplify that. That's Jesus. It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. Um, you know, I want to commend this church like Jesus did too. Because this is a really powerful thing. These people have endured a lot of stuff. They're in a really dark place. Um, but they have endured patiently. They have done amazing things. Um, you know, and, and, and for me, you know, I would say just kind of thinking about that. I mean, I've been a believer for probably 25 years. Uh, I've known the Lord, and, and I have endured during that time. I have not always endured patiently. And, and, if, and I'm real truthful, and probably if all of us are, there have been times where I felt very distant from God. There have been times in my ministry where I've wondered, is this, am I where I, need, where I need to be? Because I just feel so disconnected from God. And so I haven't always endured well. If there were times that if I could have hit the easy button and moved on, I probably would have hit it if that was, if that was feasible. But I endured, you know, because that was just, that's just where I was. But it says right here that these, this church, um, they, had a, they endured patiently. You know, that they, they understood. They went through difficult times, but they were still present with God. Um, so you have two big components right here. Uh, they endure well, and they have great theology. Okay? Um, that passage highlights that there were people that, um, that they would hear, they could be able to spot false teachings. So if somebody came in and they're teaching about God or proclaiming to teach about God, they were able to say, no, that's not right. That doesn't line up with who God is and what I know, who I know him to be. And they could call that out. So they had, they had great theology um, and they were enduring well. But then we get to verse 4 um, and it says this, but I have this against you. And I don't know if you guys have ever been in a conversation where somebody says, hey, you know, you're so great. I really appreciate what you're doing. But, like, oh man, here it comes. This is it. So he says, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Um... 
you know, this whole series, and I love, you know, each week we see the Ignite up there, and I know sometimes when we have themes in the church, we kind of glisten over that, you know, what the theme is, and we get to kind of what, you know, what's, what's the meat of this. But I love, because right here I think what's happening is he's saying, I want to see something ignite. You know, you need to think about what was it you were doing before, what is it that needs to be ignited in you to change? Because right now, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, Okay. And so this is a heavy text. Doctrine alone and endurance is, is not going to get you where you need to be. Okay? Yes, you can endure well, um, but you've abandoned the love you had at first. And, you know, that's where we're going to go for the rest of our time is talk about what was it? What is, what is he pointing to in Revelation going back to this, this church? What were those things that allowed them to, to endure well, to have this love for Christ? Um, for me, I was remembering back, and, and probably all of y'all can do this, um, if you can remember back to a time when you really felt so connected with God and so passionate about Him, um, you know, and, and so sometimes things change. But for me, I was thinking back to a time I remember just feeling really close to God, and it was my junior year in high school. And, and I remember I was just really learning the Bible and um, trying to understand who God was to me and, and who I was in Christ. And um, I had this really crappy car. Okay, it was a it was a Ford Escort. Okay, and this thing was hideous. It was one of those like you try to start it up like nee, 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 and you're hoping that it actually cranks. Okay, and then the outside the paint was like chipping off, and so this is this mine didn't look this good. Okay, this is like a new happy family with their car. That's not what mine looked like. Okay, but that is the car. And so I remember in high school we had our assigned parking places, and um, I was so embarrassed of this car. That even though I had this great parking place, I was parking across the street at the tennis courts. And I'm like, I will walk in the rain because I'm so embarrassed to even drive this thing here. Well, as I was getting to know Christ better and I was involved in this Bible study, you know, it just, I just felt so connected with God. I was growing in this relationship that I was like, oh my goodness, I have a car. There are people all over the world that don't have cars. I have a car. I can drive from point A to point B. I don't have to walk or ride my bike. And I remember it just hitting me and being so thankful and I feel so connected with God. But man, I drove into that parking lot and I went right into my parking place and I'm like sitting on my car. This is my baby right here. You know, God gave me this. You know, and I just remember that time because I just felt like I don't care what anybody else thinks. I know who I am in Christ. I feel passionate. I feel like that I've been ignited in who he was and who he had called me to be. And so, in, in kind of thinking about that, maybe you guys can relate and think back to a time where you really felt connected to God. That's what he's saying. You need to go back to that time. That's what was going on. So let's look a little bit about that. Um, God's affection for us, his love for us, um, and his forgiveness for us is not predicated upon anything we do or don't do, um, but rather in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay? And who he is. Um, so when he engages Ephesus, he's saying, you've abandoned this love that you had at first. Okay? Um, and if you remember back, he's saying, I want you to repent. Go back to that place. Go back to where you were. Yes, you've endured well. Yes, you have great theology. You know a truth about God, but you don't know the truth who is God. And, and so he gets to this place where he issues a warning. Um, he says, but if you have no affection for me... If you, not, if you miss out on this love and you just have good theology and good endurance, I'm going to remove my presence from you. I'm still going to continue to work and do a mighty thing, but you're not going to have this. Um, and it's a pretty terrifying threat. Um, but the reality is there is no church um, in Ephesus. And so they didn't heed his advice. 
So the million dollar question at this point is, and this is where I want to spend some more of our time, um, what did they do at first that we can look at and go, man, that's, I want my affections stirred for God. I want that. You know, I had y'all ask that question. I talked about the orangutan and the cute little tiger cubs and it kind of stirs up something in us. You know, um, you know, whatever that may be for you. But what are these things that they talk about affections? Um, and when I say affections, I don't, I don't mean like emotions. Um, and, and the reason I say that emotions come from the primitive part of our brain and they come out and we act on them a lot of times, you know, but we can't necessarily control emotions. Affections, I would say, and this is Andy's definition, so there's no, if I'm wrong in this, you can call me out, but I would say affections are more so, it's where the emotions are tied in with the logic and reason in our head and it plays out in action. Okay, that's affections. If, we're, if we show affection for God, it's because we recognize what he's done, we understand that, we logically understand it because there are times, like I said, I don't feel connected to God, but logically I know he's present. I know that he's there. And so I continue to live a life, hopefully, of faith in him. So, um, so that's what I mean by affections. Um, but to answer this question, let's head back to Acts. Um, in verse 11 it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs, aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. I would love that. Like that's really cool. I mean that sounds kind of funny. Um, and I think there's been people in the past who like, I mean I've seen like infomercials where they sell like a cloth or whatever which is silly. But, but you know that's the kind of stuff that would be awesome. You know and, and I think it's okay to want that. That the Holy Spirit is so present and that somebody like Paul is so in tune with God and God is using him that, that even things that he has touched bring healing power because God is present and the Holy Spirit is present. Um, I mean, it's really it's amazing to think about. And then I love this next part. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists. I love that that's a job. Okay? What do you do for a living? I'm an itinerant Jewish exorcist. Um, so then I'm not, some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Okay? Um, so, you know, they see that Paul has, there's so much power within Paul that even things he touches are, are doing amazing things. And they're like, I want some of this action. I want to get in on this. This is a way for me to make some money. Um, so they find this demon-possessed guy, and he says this, is saying, I adjure you, it's like a polite way to speak to a demon, um, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims, um, seven sons of Jewish high priests named Siva were, were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? This is kind of that uh-oh moment. <laughs> They're like, I'm in trouble here, okay? So one man, seven itinerant Jewish extras, probably like brothers, like the family business or whatever, and they find this demon-possessed guy, and, and so I know Jesus. I've even heard of Paul, which is pretty cool. I know who Paul is. I don't know who you are. And so what happens next is this. And the man in whom was evil, the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's in the Bible. That's pretty, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, I mean, I didn't make that up. That's literally what's in there. Um, you know, if you think about a fight, um, it's been interesting to read all the headlines lately with the debates and, and whatnot, or, or if you watch boxing or anything. Like, when there's a fight and you read the headlines, it's kind of like, who won? This is a battle between Hillary and Trump. And, you know, some people think this person won the debate. Some people think this one person won the debate or the fight, as they say it. Um, but if you go into a fight with pants on, and you come out and you don't have pants on? 
there, there's no question about who won the fight here, okay? So they left naked. And so as part of this, and this is kind of getting to know my personality and stuff, but um, so I'm, I'm going through this past, I'm like, there's got to be a video on this. It's just like the Bible miniseries, and there has to be a video of this scene because this is awesome. Um, so I had a hard time finding it, but I did find something I'm going to show you, so... As it happened, Apollos was in Corinth and he was like, there is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. And Paul was in Ephesus and he met these new Christians and he was like, hey guys, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And they were like, Holy Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit? What? And Paul was doing a bunch of crazy miracles so that even his apron had the power of healing. Ooh, ooh, hot, hot. So then these Jewish traveling healing freaks were going up to demon-possessed people and saying stuff like, I cast you out in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. <laughs> Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? Uh, um, um, I'm not cool. 24E, 24E. It's you! So then in Ephesus, this silversmith named Demetrius, who made idols to the goddess Diana, stood up and he was like, fellow silversmiths, this guy Paul's raising a ruckus against us and we're not being able to sell our idols anymore. Come on, let's ruin him. And then he gathered everyone up in a theater and he was like, all right guys, here's the plan. We're going to kidnap two of Paul's dudes. We're going to destroy every... Shh, be quiet. The movie's about to start. Okay, so that's it. I had to cut off the end. It wasn't necessarily appropriate. And so, but, um, but that's all I found. I, like, I'm surprised nobody's made anything, anything better than that, but I thought it was pretty good. Uh, so I want to I pick back up. So what are the things um, that we're trying to, we're trying to find out what did the, the church of Ephesus, what is it they did at the beginning that their affections were so stirred uh, for God? Um, and so let's pick back up in 17. It says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who practiced the magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So, so what you've got here is that Jesus is basically just, he's flexing over this. I don't know how to say it, but he's just kind of, he is present. There is so much going on and people are just so filled with the Holy Spirit that they are confessing and they are, they are talking about what's, what God is doing and it's just, it's just making a huge difference. Um, so much so that there are a lot of people who see this and they want the power of Jesus without uh, claiming him as part of their life. Okay? So this holy fear comes over, not a, not a God's going to get us kind of fear, um, but this holy fear kind of comes over the, the city. Um, and it says this, they extol the name of Jesus. Okay? Um, and this is what I want to point out. Um, the necessity for us to extol the name of Jesus. Okay? Um, for you and I to extol the name of Jesus, um, <laughs> we have to know who he is. I don't know what that is, but there's something coming through there. Okay. <laughs> um, because what you think about Jesus uh, informs your worship of Jesus. Okay? 
So if we're going to extol the name of Jesus, we need to know who he is and really know who he is. I've always said one of the biggest uh, barricades or hindrances to prayer is believing that God does not delight in our presence and us coming to him. Um, I I think there are a lot of times where um, uh, we get caught up in, in kind of this false understanding of who God is. And that we just think that he's kind of putting up with us morons until we get to heaven. And that we just come to him whenever. But, but he really does delight in us coming to him. And if, you, and if you don't believe me, think of the scriptures. Think about the times he goes to like the woman at the well. Um, you know, or, or he goes to Zacchaeus. Or I mean, we could just go on and on. But it's not like, hey, you need to change. I can't believe you're doing this. This is wrong. He is just delighting in their presence and pointing them to him. Um, he's not coming down hard on him. He delights, um, he delights in them. And I believe that he delights in us. So for us, when we look upon or we gaze, we meditate upon Jesus and who he is, it's important that we understand who he really is. Um, you know, that, that he is our savior, that he paid a price for us, that he died on the cross, that he was resurrected from the dead, and the desires to be with us. And, and I think sometimes we just, we kind of forget that. And I don't, you know, I think it's just one of those things that we, we struggle with. Um, but it's not that God is trying to rob us of our joy. Um, it's not that he's trying to place all these rules and stuff, which I think some people really believe, but that he loves us and he delights in being with us. And those times where we can come to him and say, God, I'm struggling with this. And he delights in that. He wants that. Um, so if you go back to Revelation, just kind of, you know, talking about they love the truths about Jesus, um, but those truths didn't lead them to love Jesus as the truth. Um, they loved the truths. They loved hearing about it. They loved teaching. But they missed out that he was the truth. Um, and it's it's kind of like this. If I said, you know, Carrie, uh, if I said, man, I love my wife's blue eyes, but she drives me crazy. You know, or, or I, you know, I love my wife's eyes, but I'd really rather not talk with her. You know, that's not really fun. If she could just look at me, I'd be awesome. But other than that, I want nothing to do with her. I mean, that's kind of the thing of what's going on. So he's trying to move them past truth and into truth. Okay? Um, and that's what the Word of God does. It's important. Um, you know, and I think sometimes all of us are probably guilty of creating a Jesus, creating a God that's not really true to who he is. And he really does delight in our presence. He loves it when we come and pray to him. It, you know, there are times we may not feel very connected. And, and, and I, I admit that myself. I may not feel as connected, but I know based on his word that he delights in that. He delights in his his children. Um, So verse 18, um, let's continue on. Um, Also many of those who were now, pick up on this, who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And this is important, and I think when I first was reading over this, I kind of went over this a little bit, but um, they were believers. It's not saying these were unbelievers that came divulging their sins. Or what they, did. they were believers. These were people who believed in God and they came and they just confessed. You know, and, and I think one of the things I love about this is, is this is very raw and real. Um, one of the church planners that we met with this past week, um, I love, he's just kind of, he's a different kind of guy. Than, I mean, all the church planners are different in their approaches, but um, this guy, Eric, moved there from Indiana um, and he, he moved there. To, I mean, that's, he just felt God leading he and his wife and family to go there. And so um, kind of was going through this town and kind of trying to talk to people about the gospel and comes across this guy who's a tattoo artist. 
and um, and he says, "Hey, I just can I I want to share I want to share some with you." And so he shares with him about the Lord and and his love for him. And the guy's very like, "Who are you? I don't need this. I don't need you telling me about who Jesus is. That's a bunch of garbage." And so uh, Eric just gives him this little this little pamphlet or something, just telling him it's just a piece of scripture, and gives it to him. And so he says, "I'm gonna come back in a week and come talk to you." And so. A week later, he comes back and he just uh, and the guy meets him in the parking lot and says, "I know the Lord. I accepted Christ into my life. Will you disciple me? Will you pour into me? Will you lead a Bible study in the tattoo parlor?" Okay, so Eric goes and he starts leading uh, this Bible study, and the other guys in there are not happy about it, um, but they're overhearing the gospel. And so Eric, this really clean-cut guy from, um, from Indiana, now is covered with tattoos because all the guys in the tattoo parlor he's led to Christ have given him tattoos. Okay? It's a little different, right? It, it, but, but it's so cool because that's, the, that's legit. And he was telling us just some of the stories. And, and so here's what's happening. Is here, this is very raw. These people are sharing, they're divulging, they're confessing what's going on. And it's not just this clean little thing of, hey, you know, I, I messed up. Um, you know, I just, I just want to share that with you. I messed up. I don't want to say what it is. But they're really openly saying, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's, here's what I need to confess. Um, and, and I love this because I think so many times, and I think this happens in church life, uh, all churches everywhere, um, it doesn't take you long to put on the clothes um, to look like everybody else. And I'm not talking about actual clothes, but to kind of pretend that everything is good. And, and if there's nothing else you walk away with, hear this, because I think this is some of the most helpful thing. It's okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. To say, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. My relationship with God feels very dry. I don't know what's going on. But people a lot of times pretend. And this happens all the time at church. You know, we, we don't want to confess. We don't want to talk about what's really going on because of what people may think. You know, but it's so important that, that we have this community. And that's what, you know, I mean, as a church, I mean, and I would say this boldly, if, you know, if, you, if people that just come and they sit and worship, I think that's great. But it's important to have a community of people. And that can look different in so many ways. But you need that community. You need to have people whom you can go and confess and talk about these things that are deep and real and raw and may sound really terrible, but that's what God's called us to do. And that's what's happening in this, in this passage. Um, you know, we, um, we're aware of the role that grace plays in our salvation. Uh, we're, we understand that the God's grace and that leads us to salvation because that's what he has offered us. But I think grace plays out in our life in community. That's how we share. That's how we extend grace um, with other people. Um, so they come and they divulge their practices. Um, they're not pretending to be somebody they're not because pretending can get real exhausting. And I think when we start to pretend, it really withers the soul. Um, so they get real, very real. And, and to kind of paint an example of this, I was, I was thinking, you know, this is, this is not, uh, like I said, me just saying, hey, I just want, you know, I'm just sharing the missus and I, we're, we're having a hard time. Uh, you know, just just want to share that. I mean, this is like raw stuff. Like, hey, listen, uh, my neighbor um, doesn't really mow his yard like he should, and so um, because you know my yard looks so great and his doesn't, it's messing up my yard, and so therefore I went and sacrificed a goat and I put a curse on him. You know, and now I'm seeing some things happen in his life, and I feel really bad about that. 
Okay, that sounds really silly, right? But that would be kind of like, that's the kind of things these people are professing. Those are the kind of things that they're talking about. It's really, it, it's bad stuff. It's grotesque. Um, and, and here's what I would push you on, and I know this for me, that we need to be tapped into our heart um, and where God's leading and prompting us and what's going on within us. Um, we need to know and kind of understand what, what are some ways that my affections need to be stirred. And, and I think what I've learned um, myself is that when I'm in a community of people, um, I feel closer to God when I can acknowledge my weaknesses rather than focusing on my strengths. Um, and I love, I've had some difficult times, I would say, in my life. And, you know, there's a passage that's always just, I, I repeat, I still to this day when I'm struggling with something. And it's, your grace is sufficient for your power is made perfect in weakness. And I just have found that to be so true. When I'm weak, those are the times I'm relying on God and trusting Him uh, to do some amazing things. And He does. So, um, so extolling His name or confessing sin, they're divulging practice, practices. And 19, um, and a number of those who had practiced the magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and the found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Um, you know, this passage, you know, it talks about the value of all these things that they're burning. And I'm not saying we come together and everybody bring their TV to the back parking lot and we're going to burn them or anything like that. But what it's saying, and the highlight of that, is that sin is, uh, is very serious. And it's so serious that we're willing to give up this amount of money and we're going to burn these things because, because sin is very serious in our life. We need to get rid of it. We need to do something. Um, and so they do. And that amount of money, 50,000 pieces of silver, may not sound like a lot, but, I mean, that was a lot. Like, a crazy, crazy amount. Um, and so they do this because that they recognize the seriousness of it. And that that's what's keeping them from God. And so, so they go on. Um, so they extol his name. Okay? They recognize who he is. They, they confess and divulge what's going on. And they also acknowledge the seriousness of their sin. Um, uh, the first part of that, just extolling his name. Um, you know, set your minds on Jesus. Colossians 3 says, set your minds on Jesus, set our minds on things above, and, and that is Christ. You know, we need to make that a practice of our lives, that we are, we are putting him at the front of our mind. And that's not always easy. I mean, that sounds great, um, but it's not always easy, but we need to make that a priority. Extol him and who he is. And again, the, heart, the next part of that, confessing and divulging those things going on, can be really hard. And sometimes people may not respond the way you would hope they would. You know? Uh, I'll never forget one time I had to share with somebody, you know, confess to them something I'd done, and I was really upset uh, about it, and I expected them to be very grace-filled, um, and they were not. And, and it was just a real painful thing, but it was the right thing to do. It didn't come out the way I, in my mind I'd hoped or planned, but, but it was important to do. Um, and the last part, I mean, you know, taking, making sure that we, um, we understand that sin uh, plays a huge impact. And I know uh, there are things we can do on top of that. We can recognize it. But sometimes we have to, to place rules in our life that are important. You know, I know for me, one t you know, some of the things, I do a lot of marriage counseling. And so there are times that I will have um, last minute, and I wasn't prepared if I'm meeting with a couple, and the guy all of a sudden is not coming. Um, you know, and the, just, the, just the woman's coming, I make sure I have somebody that walks by my office door constantly. Do I think anything's going to happen? No. But I have to make sure that there are rules in place um, to, kind of, to help me to make sure there is no room for doubt. And so those are, there are things like that that are important. So going back to Revelation 2, you know, doctrine's important. Our theology is important. 
um, so long as it informs and fuels our passion for Jesus. And so what we can learn as we think about this and, and, and Acts, uh, this, this church at Ephesus, is there are so many ways that in Revelation he's saying you need to go back to that. You need to make sure you're doing that, that you're extolling the name of Jesus, that you're confessing your sins, and that you're taking sin seriously. And I think for us, kind of a takeaway, and, and I want to I leave you all with this. Uh, you don't have to answer this now. These are just some questions that I want you to really ask yourself genuinely. Um, and, and it's these. How are you feeding your affections for Jesus? And are you feeding those affections for Jesus? Uh, do you have any affection for Jesus right now? And answer these honestly. How serious are you about your sin? And when was the last time um, there was any confession that came out of you? Um, so these are some real internal questions um, to ask ourselves. And that's where we've got to be real, very real with our heart and, and where we are. Um, and really think through what is it God's calling me to. Um, in just a minute, Brian, Brian's going to come up here and we're going um, to extol the name of the Lord uh, through song. Um, when we're done, and I just want to extend this to you, maybe at the end of this, um, maybe you need to grab the hand of a person that's with you. Um, maybe somebody, family, friend, wife, spouse. Um, and maybe there's something you need to confess. Maybe it's just simply confessing that I'm really struggling. I don't feel very connected to God. There, there's a freedom from acknowledging our weaknesses and confessing those things. And that may be real hard for you to do. Um, but if there's somebody here, or maybe when you go home, maybe there's somebody you just need to say something like that to. Um, I think what you'll find is like the church in Ephesus, that it was so powerful. And they were in community, and they understood the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I'm going to pray for us. Brian's going to come up, and we're going to extol the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, um, Lord, we thank you for um, your presence here.